So go ahead and stand if you would, bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today, this Sunday before Thanksgiving. God, we want to we wanna give special praise to you. God, help us do that today. I don't know if we even know what that is or what that means, but we're going to see because your word instructs us. And Father, we know that your spirit answers to your word so that it can do the work of God in our life. And Father, we turn ourselves over to you to, you to do that exact thing with us today. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn first to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2. And I understand that sometimes I preach like ZZ Top sings and plays. I understand that. And you know I do too, because you ain't been in church all your life. And you listen to the 80s station also. So uh, and this may be one of those Sundays, because a topic just kind of got that good to me. But what I want to do really is give you a theology of thanksgiving. Because I've kind of never heard it done that way. You know, there's none of the systematic theologies that has a chapter on Thanksgiving. And it's kind of like going to seminary and coming out never having heard a theology of prayer, which is actually a very common occurrence. And so in stirring up a vision of Thanksgiving, I want to start with the people who ought to be most prominent because they are the instigators they're the instigators of our praise, and those people are, in the Old Testament, the priests. But in the Old Testament, the priesthood only involved a specific family and not everybody else. And so under arrangements that God made with Moses in the book of Leviticus, the priesthood was limited to just one tribe, as the tribe of Levi. And that was only one-twelfth of the nation and while everyone in that tribe was a Levite, only those who were Aaron's personal family were actually priests. Well, what I want to show you today is what I call second miler Christianity and how you can get a reformatted spirituality. Because what we discover in the New Testament is God's priesthood now involves not a temporal physical family, but a but fellowship that we have in an eternal spiritual family. So the apostle Peter picks up on this in second first Peter chapter 2 by pointing out in verse 9 how ye are number 1 a chosen generation, number 2 a royal priesthood, number 3 an holy nation and number 4 a peculiar people. Why that so that, in order that, ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So those are four pictures of the body of Christ, very similar to descriptions of Israel in the Old Testament. And the difference is that you and I and this church, we have a spiritual status. Well, first, we are the seed that God has regenerated, Ephesians 2 verse 1. And therefore, we are chosen by adoption, Romans 8, 15, in order to receive an inheritance from God, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, and 26, verse 18. Second, every Christian, <coughs> when he or she gets born again, when you get saved, you are called by God to a priesthood. Now, I know, don't believe me, just watch. Here in 1 Peter 2, look at verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. Why? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. 
and then at the judgment seat of Christ where we receive our crowns, according to 1 Corinthians 9.25 and 2 Timothy 4.8, we will be made kings as well as priests, Revelation 1.6. Now, your Bible always told you this, although you may never have attended a church or had a pastor who, who told you this, but this is the foundation of our vision for Thanksgiving. You say, Alan, make it plain. I think I will. God brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of death into everlasting life so that we could become a kingdom of priests in order to show forth his praise. So in the Old Testament, only a limited number of God's people could ever serve as priests and no women. But in the New Testament, this is our thesis for today's study. Every person who belongs to Jesus by being born again is called, claimed, and commissioned to be a priest. Now, since you're not yet feeling me like I need you to, can I just explain from the common Christian experience what Thanksgiving really means? So if you are a believer, here is what a stirred up vision of Thanksgiving means. First off, and this is our first point for study, Notice that the job of a priest is to represent God before people and bring people into fellowship with God. Because there is a mass of humanity, all with an eternal destiny. And every individual soul has a destiny for eternity. And that will be based on what they do with the light of the gospel in their own life right now. Are they going to change kingdoms? Are they going to be brought from a kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light? Now, I don't know what everybody else says. Now, I don't know what Joel Osteen says, but this is what the Bible says. The gospel good news is that they can have everlasting life by believing in Jesus just like he promised. So the fundamental responsibility of every child of God is to be a priest. Look at our second point for study. Our essential duty as a priest is to be a witness to the world about God in this life and then an intercessor on behalf of the lost, on behalf of others, on behalf of those in need. Now wait, an intercessor is simply grabbing God with one hand and grabbing a person who will not pray for themselves or needs more than just their own prayer for themselves and bringing that person who will not pray for themselves before God in prayer. So we are going to God in prayer for people and we are going to people in love for God. Help me, Holy Spirit. So if you're here and you're not asleep, I know just what you're saying. You know, Alan, I don't know how you knew that I was going to be here this, this Thanksgiving Sunday. But I'm so used to going to a church where the entire service is some religious ritual. And I don't come away sensing that I have touched God. Or I go to a church where the entire service is a book report slash political or social commentary by the leader. And I don't come away sensing that I've touched God. Or I go to a church where I, you know, hear some strange syllables and somebody says they got healed, but I myself do not come away feeling like I've touched God. And Alan, this being the Sunday before Thanksgiving, don't let me leave here until you show me what is the vision for a reformatted Thanksgiving. Is there some role that I'm in danger of missing this holiday season? 
Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. I'd be glad to help you out. Give me a few minutes just to unpack some principles. We're going to clothe ourselves with their truth, get our healing, and head out of here ready to tell people about God because we've been touched by God in this service. So as believers who are being priests, there are certain sacrifices we have to offer. But 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, We do not offer lambs or rams or bulls or turtle doves or even stalks of wheat, like the Old Testament priests did, we are called upon to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now that's where I want to focus today, to stir up a vision for Thanksgiving. So let me summon your attention to the sacrifice scripted for us here in Hebrews 13. Speaking to the saints, Paul says in verse 15 of Hebrews 13, we are to offer spiritual sacrifice by him. Stop. Because that is how we do it, not in our own strength, not in our own capacity, not even on our own authority, but by virtue of the name of Jesus and the fame of Jesus. So check this, we're able to offer something even better than literal calves, because what Hosea says is we offer the calves of our lips, Hosea 14, verse 2. So verse 15, therefore... Let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Stop. Because that is what we are supposed to do. We are to raise him because we praise him and we offer it, verse 15 says, to God. Stop. Because that is who we are to praise. Not some other person, not some possession, not some privilege, not some position. But do it, verse 15 says, continually. Stop. So we've got how, what, who, And now, how often? And what does that mean? What does it mean to fulfill a biblical vision of thanksgiving? Well, watch how Paul breaks it down like a fraction for you in verse 15. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We are to offer the sacrifice of praise as spiritual priests who have been redeemed and been ransomed, and been revived, not just reformed, but reformatted by imbibing new life from him. So you better recognize, we are all born into a corrupt environment. You are born, and even when you are born again, your body don't change. You are in a flesh which is already broken by sin. So your heredity and your upbringing both conspire against you to keep from fulfilling this vision of thanksgiving. That is why we have to be taught how to praise. We have to be discipled in how to praise by seeing others who do it well. Psalm 107, verse 21 and 22. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And watch this, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Wait, stop. There's some of you in here. You don't need to thank God for what he's given you. You don't need to thank him for that. As a matter of fact, there's some of you, it doesn't matter. You you are sitting here saying, Alan, I don't care if God gives me one other thing between now and the end of the year. I don't need him to give me nothing. I need him to do something. 
I need God to do something. I need him to do something in my life. I need him to do something for somebody I love. I need him to do something for somebody I know. We need to praise him for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. So the psalmist wants all people to learn how to praise God. He doesn't just express a longing for it. He goes further to instruct us in exactly how it should be done. So what does it look like when God's people are fulfilling a vision of thanksgiving? Alan, can you draw me a picture? Well, call me Bob Ross. (laughs) Just call me Bob Ross today, Not, not Picasso. Call me Bob Ross. Because I believe there are several things that we need to apply today regarding the theology of thanksgiving. And your doctrine is deficient if you do not understand praise. Because clearly the Bible says a lot more about thanksgiving than it does some of the other stuff you harp on all the time. Hello, somebody. That is why we are so dysfunctional. So anybody want to hear this today? Just say, lay it on me, Alan. And I'll even take silence as consent because I know you came to be educated, not entertained. So I want to enlighten you today with insight from the scriptures. Notice, if you will, this is number one. Thanksgiving is always visible. Let the whole church say visible. visible. See, I, I knew I was preaching here today, and you all are sophisticated, cultivated, educated crowd. I mean, you are suave and debonair with wavy hair. You, uh, you are fine, kind, and you got a great mind. So I knew I couldn't be no lazy preacher. I'd have to go home and do my homework. So I performed an etymological investigation of that Hebrew, of that uh, uh, word praise in Hebrews 13, 15. And you know, I discovered, and let me hit you with the definition, praise is a word that means a thank offering presented to God for some benefit that has been received. That is why the James gang defines it for you in Hebrews 13, 5 as a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something either visible or visible by being verbal. And I know how some of you are. Unless I can show it to you in the Bible, you won't believe it. You know what? That's a good thing. And that's why I'm going to use so many verses today. As a matter of fact, since we're talking about, you know, 80s music and stuff like that, there was a record producer called Phil Spector. Phil Spector developed a production technique for music that was called the Wall of Sound. And he used it first, I think, with Ike and Tina Turner, and then a lot of other bands, uh, you know, use that same technique. Well, I came up with an expository preaching technique last week. And I call it the Wall of Cross References. And you can see them all on your outline sheet. Watch, Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And bless the Lord. So the vision God gives you is how thanksgiving is also visible. Now let me open a window on that word from the narrative of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8 verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And Paul says the same thing when he talks about how men ought to pray. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. So it is critical for you to comprehend this on a personal level. And this is our third point for study because praise is your spiritual signature. You know, for a payment to be made out of your bank account, 
And in order to verify who you are to make that payment, you've got to provide your signature or you have to provide a chip on a card that is embedded with your signature. Or if somebody else uses your signature to sign your name for a charge that is immoral, illegal, and carries the consequence of a fine or imprisonment. So your signature is so important, it is often verified with a signature also recorded on a photo ID. So you don't have to worry about anybody else getting what God has for you as long as you praise. Because what God has for you is signed by you as you praise. And you need your own personal praise in order to prevent spiritual forgery. So if you're going to fulfill this vision of thanksgiving, you better recognize it's got to be shown visibly or else. And this is number two. Thanksgiving is also verbal. Let the whole church say verbal. So praise is personal, but it is not private. I mean, in order to praise, it's got to be public acclamation. You can thank God in your heart, but it's only praise when you show it. Psalm 42, verse 4. When I remember these things, stop. What things? What things is he talking about? Well, when I remember that tears were my meat day and night, verse 3. When I remember how everybody was asking me, where is your God now? Verse 3. Then what did I do? Verse 4. I pour out my soul in me. Now watch. If you look at the Uh, prescript to this psalm, you find out that Psalm 42 is a mascal psalm, and that means it's specifically a psalm of instruction. So this is really a discipleship lesson on handling your PTSD, how to handle your suffering, because it says that it was of the sons of Korah, and the sons of Korah were the children of the man who was swallowed up whole by the earth and sent alive down to hell. Those were the children who suffered PTSD when they watched going through that trauma and what God had to do to their parents there in the Old Testament. So they're dealing with difficulty and they're wrestling with worry and they're contending with that trauma and yet they teach their soul. Watch verse 4. They teach their soul to say, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. So this is a hymn of praise sung by a choir as a thank offering to God because it wasn't easy to go that day. They didn't feel like doing it that day. It's been a hard season. It was a bad year. Things weren't going right right now. But they went with everybody else who was going so they could assemble themselves and praise God. That means you've got to open your mouth to offer this sacrifice. You've got to command your tongue to fulfill a fuller vision of thanksgiving, not just by what it's tasting. So let's bring it all together now. Watch. Psalm 42 is when you realize that you are ruined. Psalm 43 is your cry for deliverance and revival. Psalm 44 is the Jews in the tribulation or you in any trial. Psalm 45 is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Psalm 46 is the second advent of Jesus. And then Psalm 47, he's king of all the earth in the millennium. Well, what happens then, I wonder? 
We'll look on your handout, Psalm 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Clap, shout, hand, voice, visual, verbal. So we clap our hands in here for a different reason than you do in the club or at Kauffman Center or Arrowhead Stadium. And yet, for a lot of Christians, the praise team is their only entertainment. And so they treat it like Taylor Swift or Beyonce. Hello, somebody. But in this church, God is the audience and you are the entertainers. The congregation is the performers as the worship team are the Levitical people to lead us in praise. So we don't clap our hands for the same reason that you're clapping for Beyonce and Taylor Swift. Or some of you who are a little older, who listen to the 80s channel. I mean, Steven Tyler looks like a zombie crawled out of a dirty clothes hamper. Why are you clapping for him? Ain't I right about it? But there are three reasons that we clap our hands in church, and I get them all from the Bible. First, as an act of worship. When, when you clap, the goal is not to praise the preacher or the praise team or show somebody else your appreciation. Your clap is physical and rhythmical amen. And that's why you ought to not clap half-heartedly. And this is just a vision for your thanksgiving. So second, second, this letter B, praise will summon assistance. We clap to get attention because we need assistance. Worship is visible which is why we talk about tithing at this church. I mean, I talk about tithing because I don't want you to give just because I entertain you. If you only give because I entertain you, then all you are doing is putting money in my spiritual tip jar. Well, it's anything about that. No, baby Yoda. I want you to give God the first dime of every dollar, the first day of every week, and the first part of every day. Because you need his attention. So I'm not a waiter that you tip. I'm a preacher. And I got to preach what God says. Bring him the first fruits to show that you need assistance with all of it. Ain't I right about it? And that's why we are not one of those churches that has a $50 line if you want to pray with the pastor. Or a $20 line if you want the deacon to pray over you. Or a $5 line to talk to the janitor. No, if you're thankful, then tithe. Then third, third, this letter C, praise, praise visibly to serve notice on the enemy. We stand and make noise to remind the devil that God still has somebody who's not afraid or ashamed to praise his name. And, and we are given an intriguing illustration of this by an ancient prophet. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now Paul takes that as a Christian command in Philippians 4.4 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And Peter takes it as a Christian command, 1 Peter 1.8. And the word rejoice literally means to exult in triumph over an enemy. So by definition, if you are going to rejoice, well, you may not do that sitting down. You've got to kind of do that in a group. You want to get loud about it. 
Because what this word means is a jumping up and down in victory. And the bombshell about this verse is if, if you read it in context, nothing has changed about Habakkuk's situation. That is why the first word of the verse is yet, still struggling, yet, going through hard times, yet, not out of inflation yet, yet, didn't get the answer I wanted, yet, didn't get the information I needed, yet, point four, you hit a new level of stirring this vision when you learn how to give God thanksgiving before anything changes. I think you missed your shout cue right there. Praise is visible, praise is verbal. It involves what is said, it involves what is sung, as well as what is seen. So, Psalm 95 verse 1 says, Oh come, let us, as something we all got to do together, let us sing unto the Lord, let us make a joyful noise, a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And joyful noise means you don't even have to be in tune. I mean, noise means you have to be on pitch, you don't even have to be in the right key. Why? Because you are a performer for nobody else but the Lord. The Bible says in order to praise God, sometimes you just got to make noise. Thanksgiving is visual. It's also verbal. But third, third, this number three, Thanksgiving is an instructional issue. And this gets into how the church, this church, our church is dead set on integrating your children with your spirituality. Because even they know that the premier word in the Bible is hallelujah. And hallelujah is a compound word made of two parts. The first is hallelujah. And that doesn't just mean to brag or to boast or make a scene. I mean, it does mean that, but it's not just that. Because this is the masculine plural imperative, which means it is a command. You must all do this. So hallelujah means we make a show, we even act the fool over someone or something. But the second part is Yah, and that is the concentrated form of the name Jehovah. And that is the vision of thanksgiving. I mean, it's not just Elohim, the powerful God, it's Jehovah, the personal God, who's going to save you. And it means you show off God by showing off for God because you showed up because God saved you. So you boast on God so other people know about your God. And then in the final analysis, this is number four, Thanksgiving is an inclusive issue. Look at Psalm 106, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say... Amen. Praise ye the Lord. So praise is not just for the communicative and the extroverted. Praise is just like evangelism. Praise is just like discipleship. It is for all God's people. And just like everyone is required to know God for themselves in a personal relationship or else you ain't saved. Baptism didn't save you if you don't know God in a personal relationship. Nothing else saves you but him. So everybody who knows him in that way is required to fulfill this vision of thanksgiving. So if you're here and you're not asleep, I know just what you're saying. Because I got that kind of bandwidth today. And I've been reading your mental text messages. 
and they say, look, Ellen, you know, I'm just not like that. I'm, I'm more reserved. I'm more conservative. I am a fundamentalist. And I don't do all that charismatic stuff that you seem to be into. It's not that I'm not getting anything. I'm just not expressive. Or here's another one. Let me read it. I'm a college graduate. I thought only poor, ignorant people did what you describe. Oh, no, you didn't. You know, I might let you get away with that first excuse if it weren't for a couple of things. Because the point that God presses on is that even if you are not that way by nature, you're that way by new nature. Even if you're not that way by nature, you're that way by new birth. You are that way by grace. And I'm not trying to tell you to act contrary to your personality. I'm not trying to get you to violate your Myers-Briggs or Taylor-Johnson temperament analysis or to even break your Enneagram. I'm not trying to put you in a different quadrant or change your four-letter code or even say which team member you are on NCIS. (laughs) All I'm trying to say is that this is why in the Bible it is called a sacrifice of thanksgiving because if it was easy for you to do all the time, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. So let me hit you with the definition because a sacrifice is giving up something that you prefer for something that has a higher priority. Because worship is demonstrative, praise has to be expressive, thanksgiving needs to be fervent in order to be accepted. Now let me open a window on that word, because I think that most Christians uh, are with God like they are with Golden Corral and Pizza Buffet. Your choice. You get your tray and you say, I'll have some fried chicken, no greens, marshmallow jello. Look, why you all keep making cranberry sauce every Thanksgiving? Y'all know, nobody don't eat that. You know how much you throw away every year. No, it needs to be marshmallow jello. And it needs to be something with whipped cream and Little, little bit of, little bit of coconut and, 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 uh, you know, a cocktail, uh, a fruit cocktail and stuff. And so what we do is we, we get our tray and we say, God, give me two scoops of deliverance, but no clapping. And I want one slice of healing with no shouting and evidently no tithing. But, but what you better recognize this is our fifth point for study is that when God instructs you to do something, it's because he's trying to get you to be something. And he does not want you to be a buffet believer. Because buffet believers, they only pick what they want. Okay, now, just do this test. Just uh, humor me and just do this little test for me. Put your hand right in front of your mouth. Not, not on your mouth, but kind of just an inch or so in front of it. Now blow. Did you feel anything? Okay, Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that hath breath. Do not become a skeptical believer or you'll lo- you lose a shout. Why should any child in this church ever leave this church with the impression that anything this world has to offer is more thrilling, more exciting, more satisfying than God's word speaking to them and their soul walking in it and them praying to him and joining us in thanksgiving for it right here? If you can't, you know, if you ain't got money, if you ain't got a honey... As long as you got breath, 
God is worthy of your praise. So Thanksgiving is an instructional issue. It's an inclusive issue. But let me open a window on that word as we close. There was a poor single woman. She's struggling to keep her stuff together, especially out in California. You all know how everything's high. House prices are high. She saves up her money. She's able to put money down and finally buy a home in Silicon Valley. But what had happened was the realtor did not tell her that there were homeowner association dues. And for whatever reason, several years go by, she does not even know she is supposed to pay these fees until finally they send her a foreclosure notice. So what had happened was the association and the bank went into cahoots in order to foreclose on her house because she did not pay her homeowner association dues. Now, a local TV station sent a news crew to interview her. At first, they could not find her because they had already put all her stuff out on the street and she was homeless. So they began to make inquiry about with all her neighbors, wondering if they would know where she might be. And so they ask about her whereabouts. And finally, one of the neighbors says, well, I don't know where she's living, but I know where she's at on Sunday. On Sunday, she is at her church. So they go to her church and they find her in the aisle praising God. I mean, I don't know what was going on that day, but it was no holds barred, hat on the floor, working your weave-a-loo praise and she is right there in the aisle that story catches the attention of a firm of nine lawyers who see her praise in the lord they fight her case for free and they get her house back but now wait wait the sunday after that the station wanted to do a follow-up report They find her in church again, and this time she's praising just like she was before. So they interview her afterwards, and she says, you know, when you saw me the first time, I was praising in anticipation, but today I'm praising God in celebration. And I'm out, but that is the theology of Thanksgiving right there. It has a vision to be verbal, instructional, and inclusive. And yet as regarding the second goal of discipleship, which is to be established in the word of God, the intrepid apostle Paul tells us this in Colossians 2 verse 7, that we are to be rooted and built up in Christ. How do we do that? By being established in the faith as ye have been taught. What is that going to result in? Abounding therein with thanksgiving. So you've not yet been discipled if you've been taught the word, but you've not been taught to abound in the word with thanksgiving. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. For this, you know, you're looking for what is God's will for my life? Well, you can read it right here. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So here we are the Sunday before the holiday, and you're not here by accident. This is divine appointment. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15 says, In all things, it says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace through the thanksgiving of many redound, the King James says, not resound, not rebound, but to overflow and spill over to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 11 to 12, We are being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causeth through us thanksgiving to God for the administration of this service. He's talking about their giving, their offering. They went above their tithe. 
to give a special offering because the saints in Jerusalem were starving because of famine at that time. He says, for the administration of this service, not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. God ordered your steps and he brought you here today. Thanksgiving puts you in the position so that you can receive from God and other, others can give praise to God. Have you received from God the eternal life that God offers in Jesus Christ? You know, a lot of times we talk about uh, unconditional love of God. We get the misimpression that God, that means God still loves us even if we choose to disobey him. That's a misimpression. If you look at John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. That's past tense. Because God showed his love at a point in time when he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what grace is. Grace is God's finished work in Christ operating on your behalf because you activate it by your faith in him. So John 6, 47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You need to give your life to Christ today. You need to do it for no other reason than he can do more with it than you can. He can do more with your life than you can. And he has a purpose for your soul in his eternity. And you need to claim that today by faith. And you can give him thanks in the midst of everything else, once you do that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. All you got to do is pray. Just pray your heart to God, knowing that he hears. The crucifix is a lie. Jesus is not still on the cross. He's raised from the dead. He hears your prayer today. He answers. Nobody else can do this for you but you. Because getting saved, being born again, is an exchange of life. And it's a transaction you've got to make with Christ on your own. To give up your own sinful, rotten life. And get his righteous, spotless life. But all you've got to do is pray. Just pray and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. But today you've shown me a vision of Jesus dying on my behalf. Dying for my sins. He suffered for me. He bled because of my sins so that he could save me and redeem me and regenerate me and give me everlasting life because of my faith in him. I want that life right now. I want that life that is in Jesus. So I take Jesus today as my Lord. God, save me for Jesus' sake. Put me in Christ Put the Holy Spirit in me and make me born again. Hear Jesus, I give you my life. And if you pray that prayer, come up to here to the front and let us know. Let us either as soon as the praise team starts singing or while they're singing or as soon as they get done. I want to give you my book on next steps for new believers because I want you to grow.